So I'm very mindful of the fact that this is a life and character of Christ class. And so I don't want to overemphasize character and miss life. Um, Come Follow Me is naturally going to focus on the life of Christ. So I've kind of heavily taught the character of Christ. But now that we're down to our two last weeks, I just feel like we need to focus on the culmination of that life. Perhaps, no, the greatest life ever lived. And so I want to take today and next week and talk about the life and what we learn about his life. Actually, what I want to do today is talk about what we learn about our lives from his death. I want to introduce today with a beautiful scripture in the Book of Mormon. Turn with me to Jacob chapter 1. Book of Mormon, Jacob chapter 1. Jacob says something fascinating, and I don't know that he meant it this way. I know he knew we would have access to the New Testament, so I don't know exactly if Jacob meant it this way, but I love taking it this way. So Book of Mormon, Jacob chapter 1, verse 8. Wherefore, we would to God that we could persuade all men not to rebel against God, to provoke him to anger, but all men should believe in Christ and view his death. That's the phrase. I would that all men would view his death and suffer his cross and bear the shame of the world. Wherefore, I, Jacob, take it upon me to fulfill the commandment of my brother Nephi. The phrase, view his death and take upon his cross, fascinates me. Here's how I want to apply it tonight. On the cross, and maybe a little bit before, but while he was being crucified and on the cross, Jesus uttered seven statements. I want to view his death and take upon us his cross. If I knew nothing about the life of Jesus, if if you had to rip up my New Testament except for one page or two pages, and I had to choose which moment of his life would I pick, I could make a very strong argument that I would take the seven statements from the cross. I think the seven statements teach me more about how to live like him than almost anything else he ever did in his life. So we're going to view his death. We're going to take the seven statements he made from the cross and bear our own cross. So based on what he said from the cross, what does that mean I should do as I live? Okay, seven statements. Now, I don't know that we have a definitive order. I think we can put the last two in order, and I think we can put the first one in order. It's these middle ones. You could probably make a case that they're, but I'm going to present them in a particular order, if you'll bear with me. Well, I was going to try and guess a couple of them. Okay, let's hear them. Can you guess them? Okay, well, I know Behold Thy Mother. Okay, number two. Sure. Um, And... My God, my God, why has that forsaken Number f- down there? Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to probably put it for today. Four, four, five, yeah. It is finished. It is finished is this one. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Uh, forgive them for they know not what they That's do. That's this one. So, forgive the, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Son, behold thy mother, son, behold thy, or mother, behold thy son. This day shall thou be with me in paradise. I thirst. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is finished. And into thy hands I commend my spirit. Okay, so let's start with them. Now, Matthew and Mark say the same one. We need three in Luke, three in John, and one in both Matthew and Mark. Now, I'm going to add an eighth one. I'm going to add something he didn't say. I think it's significant there's something he didn't say from the cross. Okay, so let's start. So turn to Luke 22, 
John 19 and Matthew 27. Sorry, Luke 23. Do you want to watch them? Do you want to see them? Is it helpful to you if I show them? Okay. John or Luke 23. Let me pull them all up. Let me get mine ready to go. I'm going to do... Okay, so everyone turn to Luke 23 and then grab another window and do John 19 and then a third window and do Matthew. Oh, not Book of Mormon, New Testament, Matthew 27. Okay. And just, I don't know if you've ever, do you, know, do, you, do you ever do, do you do tags in your scriptures? Yes. This is a fabulous thing to tag. So, for example, let me just throw, show you another page. Here's what I do. So I have a tag. And the way you get to your tags is you go back to the library. Sorry, you go back to, you go back to, come on, you go home. And then you do tags. And I have a tag that says uh, Christ's Jesus seven statements from the statements from the cross statements from the cross. So one trick is every single time, every time he makes a statement, I tag it as a statement from the cross. So then I can just go to one tag and they're all right there. So, if you, <laughs> oh, you'll love this one, Abraham. Look at this one. Mistakes in the Book of Mormon. <laughs> there is no question to me, he's chiseling on plates. Look at this. Ready? While on the other hand, tell me this isn't a boo-boo, a mistake. While on the other hand, there was now and then a man fell among the Nephites by the swords and the loss of blood, they being shielded from the more vital parts of the body. No, that's wrong. The more vital parts of the body being shielded from the strokes of the Lamanites. That's obviously a mistake. But you're chiseling on plates, and so what do you do? You just correct it. So every time I found one of these, I just, I love these. So look. That's right. I'm using my body to shield my armor. Or how about this one? Now, the people who were in the land bountiful or rather Moroni, <laughs> whoops, that's not even close. The people were in the land bountiful, I mean Moroni. <laughs> yeah, or wide out. <laughs> so to me, that is evidence he's chiseling on gold plates. If Joseph Smith made this up, there is no way he was clever enough to include things like that. Anyway. I actually do like the other one that you have in there where it's like weapons of peace or rather... Yeah. That's actually kind of like a profound... This is a profound one. That they would suffer death rather than commit sin, and thus we see they they buried their weapons of peace. Or they buried their weapons of war for peace. There's no such thing as a weapon of peace. Yeah, but it is kind of like... It is is kind of like a profound way of stating it, if it's not a mistake. Yeah. Anyway, so tags. I just wanted to point that out. If you've never used tags, this is a great way to use tags. Every time he says something, you tag it as a statement from the cross. So watch how easily I can go to the ones I want to talk about because I've tagged them and then I've resorted it into the order I want to see it. So let's start with the first one, Luke 23. Luke 23. Anyone want to read it? Who's got it? Abby, you have it? Verse 34, Luke 23, 34. Okay. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they departed his room and passed them. Okay, again, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about his statement, and then I want to hold it up as a mirror. I want to take his statement in his life, 
and then hold it up as a mirror as to say, is there, so here's the setting. They are pounding nails through his hands. And he's worried the father's going to get angry at them. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't understand. Now, here's the mirror. Ready? Name anything that someone could do to you for which you could justifiably withhold forgiveness if you looked at that one statement. Could anyone do anything to me and I could justify anger and hatred and throw things at them if I remembered that one statement? No matter what they do, if I hold up that one statement as a mirror, Father, forgive them. They don't understand. Do you see what a a guiding principle that becomes? I can never withhold forgiveness. I can't hold a grudge if I hold that up and view his death. Father, forgive them. Now, I'm an elected official. I serve on a school board. I have people say horrible things to and about me. And if you've never had that, if you've never experienced someone on social media saying horrible things about you, you know the temptation and just... And then the mirror goes up. Father, forgive them. They don't understand. Can I possibly justify hating them, withholding forgiveness with that one statement from the cross? Do you see what he did with that one statement? Now, Jacob says, view his death and bear his cross. So anytime anyone symbolically pounds a nail in my wrist or in my hand with their words, with their deeds, Father, forgive them. They don't understand. One statement, and oh, how it guides my life. Next. Let's read the next one. Let's jump to John. John 19, 27. Jill, do you mind? Uh, I'm going to (laughs) tell. Why is that not opening up? Ryan, let's hear it. name is I think it's Lynn G. Robbins so he he talks about how he had his company and the whole talk is about 100% accountability and it's just interesting that he says when you take 100% ownership and accountability for whatever happens it's life is easier yeah and so the way I see that with forgiveness is it doesn't matter what the person does if I take 100% responsibility for that situation it's 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 done. Yep. It, it's just my choice. I'll it's me. Not. It's just. I'm not a victim. Then if I if I transfer the responsibility to their shoulders, then I keep thinking about it. That's right. I love that. All right. This let's do the fullness here. Let's do 26 and 27, because I just want to point out them both. So Jill, would you read John, John 19, 26 and 27? Okay, so I think we've, we've had several discussions this semester about what agony he was going through, right? Infinite agony. He's on the cross and resuffering all the agony of Gethsemane. And in his most painful moment, of whom is he thinking? His mom. Now, tell me, let's hold up the mirror. Are you ever justified in your pity party 
if you hold up that moment. Because what often, what often happens, let's be honest, when we're in pain, what do we often do? We shut down and wallow in our pain. And in his greatest pain, tell me what he's doing. When he hurt the most, tell me what he's doing. He's focused on someone else who was hurting. Now, there is a standard for my life. That if, what if I were that kind of person? What if I were that kind of person that in my greatest pain, I was focused on someone else? Do you see what he taught us in one statement from the cross, Rachel? Well, I find it interesting as you said that because I think oftentimes, you know, like we're so focused on ourselves that we don't notice that we're helping and um and especially if we're in that stage of you know like you know thinking of wanting to forgive them or not like some people you don't chose not to forgive and then they chose you know to do vengeance instead like revenge but the thing is that they're not thinking of like you know people their family members their loved ones around them that could be affected through that decision as well so it's interesting yep do you see that mirror I mean, he just said one simple thing from the cross, and that guides my life. Abby. So, like, what is he saying in this? Like, he's saying, like, like what's he saying about his mom? I won't be here anymore to take care of you, and that stresses me out. I can't look after you anymore. John, would you look out for her? And mom, I know you're going to be in pain that I'm not going to be around anymore to have a son. Could you consider John your son? Would you pretend that John is your son so that you have someone to love and care for? So behold thy son. He's saying that to John. Yeah. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom Jesus loved, that's John, he said unto his mother, hey, there's your son. Love him. When I'm not here, Take care of him. That will give you someone to care for. Because what do moms love to do? Care for someone. And he was worried that I'm not going to be around to be taken care of. So you take care of him. And he said to the disciple, would you please take care of my mom? Will you take care of my mom when I'm gone? Because I don't know who will. And I'm worried about her. Oh my goodness, that just blows my mind that in his greatest moment of agony, He's worried about her. Hannah. Um, I remember I was actually talking to my mom recently, well, not so long ago about that scripture. And my mom said that it reminded her in her situation where when she was around 12 years old, her dad unfortunately passed away with cancer. But before he passed away, um, she remembered that her dad literally asked to promise to take care of their mom and her sisters. And so it, it really reflects to Yeah, such a selfless act. Right. Yeah, but the human tendency is to do what when we're in pain? Focus on me. Sabrina, were you going to say something? Uh, I really like that whenever in the scriptures anybody or like because Jesus refers to a lot of women as woman, which nowadays sounds kind of derogatory, but at that time it was kind of like saying my lady, which I really like. Yeah. And notice it's capitalized. The woman taken in adultery. The woman taken. No, 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 no. The woman with the issue of blood. Remember what he says to her? Daughter capitalized. When in the scriptures is a word capitalized that doesn't begin a sentence. When it's divine. Notice what he did. Now, when he's speaking to him, behold, thy mother It's not. But to her, he said, capital, woman. That was a a tender, tender term. Now, let me give you an earthly example from him. Given this is the standard, that in his agony, he's focused on others. Let Let me give you one of the most haunting stories that ever occurred in the New Testament. It haunts me. Turn with me to Luke chapter 13. I'm going to pull this one up in the PDF form so we can blow it up. Luke chapter 19. 
This is Zacchaeus. Now, everyone has a Zacchaeus in their life. The odd one, the weird one, the one that smells, that talks funny, that comes from a different place. Everyone grew up with a Zacchaeus. And as adults, we have Zacchaeuses. If they were in elementary, they were probably wearing the creeper full zip-up. There you go. I don't want anyone to notice me, right? So here's Zacchaeus. Now he has three strikes against him. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was number one, chief among the publicans. So he collects taxes. How do the, how do the Jews feel about the Romans in general and anyone who collects taxes? This is a Jew that works for the government. They works for Rome. Hated, right? And he's So how do tax collectors get their money? They gather taxes, keep their portion, and turn in the rest. Now, in those days, they had a set amount they had to turn in. So how would I get rich? The assumption is that he took in more than he should, paid what he had, and kept the rest. Now, I don't believe that's the case, but that's the assumption, right? So he's a tax collector who's rich. And then he's he's little. (laughs) Now, all he does, all he wants is to, all he wants is to see Jesus. I just want to see Jesus. Can I just see Jesus? That's not hard. I've been told my whole life, I know to go to the back. I'm very sensitive to people behind me because I don't want to block your way. So why can't he see Jesus if he's little? Because they're not letting him in. They are not letting him in. Okay, I got to do this. I can't resist. In the temple, we have sacred symbols. And one of those symbols is the symbol of the compass. When I say compass, you probably think this. Right? Isn't that what you think when I say compass? But think about the symbol that's on you. It's not this. It's this. That's the symbol of the compass. Right? What do these do? They draw circles. How do you draw a circle with a compass? You make a point and then draw a circle around it. The symbol of the compass is suggesting everywhere there's a circle, it's pointing to something. Those of you who've been to the temple, think of the time we make a circle. There's, There's one you don't know about, so hold on for a second. In the endowment, we make a circle. Now think about what the circle is pointing to. When we gather into a circle, what would be the center point of that circle? An altar, which is Jesus. And then what do we put on that altar? Broken people. We form a circle to put broken people where? on Jesus. We form a circle to put broken people on Jesus, right? Isn't that what membership in the church is all about? The circle of the church is to put broken people on Jesus. And yet, where were they putting Zacchaeus? Outside the circle. If he can't see Jesus because he's little, where were they putting Jesus? The same place we often put broken people. We take broken people and put them where? Outside our circle. Now listen to what Jesus says. This haunts me. It haunts me. Jesus came in and, give me the verbs. Jesus, what's the first verb? looked, he looked and saw. He looked 
and saw. Telling you what? Well, tell me what? Tell me what? Tell me what you know about Christ. He's looking for people in pain. He's looking. He sees them. And where do we put them? Outside the circle. That it's kind of human to ignore it's something you don't like. Very much so. Divine to attend to it. You got it. So listen to what he says. He looked and saw and said to Zacchaeus, Make haste and come down, for today I must. Why must? Why did he say, I must abide with you, Zacchaeus? Why does he say, I must? Because they didn't. I must do it because no one else is. I hate to say it. Forgive me for being a little bold. I would like to think that if Jesus came anywhere this institute, he'd probably whisper, I'd love to be with you guys. I'd love to come into your institute class, but I can't because why? I got to go find that person right there because none of you did. So I will. What kind of God is he? And if we want to follow him and be the kind of person he is, what must we do? What must we do? We must look and see them. Jesus in his agony saw a mother in pain and said, would someone please take care of her? Oh, do you see why that statement means so much to me? Abby, go ahead. invite other people specifically like into the center or is this saying that sometimes we like push like our problems or things that we don't want to think about outside of the center of Christ when really we need to bring our problems I think all of those yep I think all of those but given this statement what do we have a tendency to do when I'm having a bad day when I'm having a bad day I focus on me it's all about my bad day tell me what jesus does when he's having a bad day it's all about someone else having a bad day do you see the mirror okay let's do another one let's do the thief let's go back to the thief on the cross zacchaeus luke 19. Some people call it Zacchaeus, but they're totally wrong. The real pronunciation is Zacchaeus. Of course. (laughs) Okay, Luke 23. Son, behold, thy mother is number two. Number three, Luke 23, verse 43. Who wants to read it? Luke 23, 43. Raise your hand when you get there. Read it, Abby. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, to... Okay, you know what? Let's read it more. How about go back to um, 39. How about 39 through 43? And one of the male factors which were hanged reeled on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Kind of like the last one. Uh, In agony, what is Jesus worried about? In in number two, he was worried about someone in pain. Even though he's in agony, he's worried about someone else in pain. Now what is he worried about? Someone else's 
salvation. Yeah. I like how Elder Bednar, he, he says in that talk, The Character of Christ, on the ETC, he says, what is Jesus doing? Missionary work. And that's just, it never... Even in his greatest yeah, agony. It never actually hit me that he was actually teaching about the spirit world, what it is, what it's not. You know, it's... And because, you know, we just have what is written there, but maybe he talked a little more, <laughs> more about it. I don't know. It's just, I just like how Andrew Bennett would say, he's like, what is he doing? Missionary work. Yep. He's teaching about the spirit world. I love it. So when was Jesus not worried about someone else's salvation? Now, how about me? Hold up the mirror. When should I be not worried about someone else's salvation? Especially how my actions right now might be affecting someone else's salvation. So I just want to list that as number three. He was always concerned about other people's salvation. Today, shalt thou be with me in paradise. Okay, number four. Let's get to my favorite one. Here is my absolute favorite one. And I know you're going to look at me and say, what? Uh, John 19, 28. John 19, 28. Two words. My favorite statement from the cross is two words. What two words? Abraham? I don't know. Uh, I thirst. I thirst. Now, can I explain why that's my favorite one? Tell me what they did when Jesus said, I thirst. They put vinegar on a sponge and put it to his lips. Now, hold on. Ready? Hold on. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus compared the atonement to what? A bitter cup. Father, if thou be willing, let this cup pass from me. He calls it the bitter cup. How do we know symbolically Jesus drank the cup? When he said, I thirst, what did they put to his lips? Which is very, Jesus died with what on his lips? Symbolically saying what? He drank the cup. I love that. Now, here's the mirror. Ready? Every week, what does Jesus hand me? A cup. Is there some bitterness to the cup? Is there some hesitance to drink the cup that Jesus has given me? Maybe sometimes there's a commandment I don't want to obey. Maybe Jesus has asked me to do something and I don't want to do it, and so I'm a little hesitant to drink it. But if he drank his cup, what is he asking me to do? Drink mine. Am I willing to drink his cup? To the very end, like he drank the cup I gave him. I gave him that cup and it was bitter and he drank it. And how do I know that he drank it? Because he died with bitter on his lips. And so I love that statement. I thirst. And for me, the mirror is. I have vowed to him. I have promised him that I will drink his cup to the very end. I will be whatever he wants me to be. And I drink his cup. Now going along with that one, let's do this one, number five. Um, back to Matthew. This is the one we get in Matthew and Luke. Matthew 27, 46. Ryan, would you mind? Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. I really pronounce it. Sorry. Very good. That was great. 
That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Okay, ready? Jesus felt forsaken and still did what? He still finished. How many people walk away from God when they feel forsaken by God? How many people walk away in the darkness because they feel forsaken? And Jesus felt completely forsaken and yet, does he quit? Does he stop? Does he end? He sees it through, even though he doesn't see why he should. He felt completely forsaken and yet finished. So here comes the mirror. Ready? What's the mirror say? Will you finish his purposes for you even if you feel forsaken? He did. Boy, that is a powerful reminder that I am not going to let even those moments where carest thou not that we perish, Oh God, where art thou? Where is the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place? In those moments where I feel forsaken, am I justified in quitting and walking away, pounding my fist at heaven, or finishing and drinking the cup? Jesus felt forsaken and said, I'm still going to finish. Do you see that as a mirror? Do you see how that, how that becomes a guiding mirror? All right, number six. Ryan. Um, I hate going to kind of unbelievable mode, but like in my mission, um, let me see, there was, so we were teaching at a school campus. It was Kennesaw State University, Northern Georgia. And there was this guy, I forgot his name, but he was super, he was like a Hebrew major or something like that. He was doing doing a lot of religious studies. And, but he was really afraid to, to be baptized. And there was one thing that we realized after, like at, towards the end of the lesson, that he was actually afraid of water. But he had other, other things he needed to kind of work through as well. So we just brought up this exact example because he said, you know, I've been praying, I've been reading, and I just haven't felt it. And then we kind of, it was just so natural. We're like, you know, let's go back to the crucifixion. What kind of stands out to you? And we just kind of told him the story of how Jesus felt forsaken. And then we asked him, what did Jesus do when he felt forsaken? And he felt like his prayers weren't being answered. And he was like, he just pushed through. And then I asked him, so what do you think Heavenly Father is actually trying to tell you? With, you know, you're not feeling bad about it, but not good. What do you think he's telling you? And then he was like, oh, did I need you to that <laughs> And I don't think he did actually follow through with that. And I wasn't in that area. It was just, a, we used to call it an exchange for a day. Yeah. But it was to me, like, it just reminded me because every time I have a decision I need to make in life and I just don't feel exactly what I need to do, I always go back to that experience because I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take this decision. Yeah. I'm going to do what that person particularly in that moment didn't do. Uh, and it just turns out that he was, that the Lord was actually trying to the same, just like Jesus did. He, even when I feel forsaken, I'm going to push through. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote that book, The Screwtape Letters. It's a, master, it's, a, it's a master devil coaching an apprentice devil. So this is reverse psychology. It's a devil coaching a devil on how to be a devil. And so he says, Here it is. So the master devil says to the apprentice devil, our cause, meaning the cause of evil, our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no more desiring but still intending to do God's will, looks upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, asks why he has been forsaken, and yet 
still obeys. That's Jesus. God completely abandoned him. And he still went forward. There's the mirror. There's the mirror. Rachel? I remember that um, there was this like, one teacher that was teaching about um, this actual, like, um, before Jesus died and how God abandoned him. Like, the, my teacher, I don't remember who it was or how long this was ago, but that I still remember it to this day because it impacts me still. But that he, well, they basically put it as like that. Possibly the way they see it is that God abandoning Jesus at that moment was to not only like it was to help uh, Jesus to understand what it feels like for God to be abandoned them even for a second because you know there are times where you know like in our life that we you know disobey or we don't have the spirit with us and so it's not that God abandons us per se, but it's that we, you know, distance ourselves from him. And so the way that my teacher put it was that, you know, it was just for, you know, a moment there, but it was for, you know, for us to help us understand that Jesus went through that as well. Yep. And that and my teacher also put it in a way as, you know, like comparing it to like spiritual death as well. Complete abandonment from God, and yet he still marched forward. Abby? Um, So, Jesus pushed on when he was, like, actually abandoned. And I think that so many times in life, we're like, why have you forsaken me? Like, why didn't you let this relationship work out, or this job, or this opportunity? And we think that he, like, had forsaken us and we draw away from him and he's up in heaven and he's like I was doing something good for you like that person wasn't good for you or you can have a better job than that and like there's just so many times that we push away from him when he's actually doing us a favor yeah and she's like I don't know good point but I just think that we feel like he loves us when really he just has better plans and, um, but we, when he's not doing it our way, abandon him. We walk away. You're not doing it what I want. You're not doing it the way I want you to do it. So we walk away. And yet the moment things didn't go for him, he still moved forward. I just, that is to me one of the most inspiring motivating moments in my life. Do you see why if I were to just have one page of his life, his statements from the cross would be a tremendous guide on how to live. Let's do one statement he didn't make. This is significant, something he didn't say. How about Luke 23? Let's turn back to Luke 23. I need someone to read 35 through 37. Abby, do you mind? 35 through 37. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them desired him. Derided him. Derided They're him. mocking him. They're ridiculing him. They derided him. Derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he be Christ, the chosen of God. Uh, I read that. Kind no, of you're good. Anyways, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And what did he say? And this, no. No. Nope. What did he say? He said nothing. nothing. Mm. What was the hmm for? <laughs> Sometimes we feel obligated to snap back. And Jesus chose what? Yes. You know what? He knew when not to speak. So to me, one of the great statements from the cross is the statement he didn't make. Let's do the last two. All right, number six. Let's get to John 19. John 19, verse 30. 
This is the best thing. This is just the greatest of all pain came to an end. The greatest of all pain came to an end, which means what? This statement not only meant his pain was over, but this statement is a promise that no pain we suffer will go on forever. If his pain ended, then what can you rest assured will also happen? Yours will too. There is no pain you suffer that will continue because his ended. When Jesus said, it is finished, it was one of the greatest glorious announcements of all of eternity. Because your pain ends, because his pain ended, yours will end. Because he said it is finished, you will say it is finished. Someone turn to Revelation 21.4 really quickly. Let's just read this one. Abraham, you got it. Abraham, Revelation 21.4. This is the promise because he said it is finished. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are past. It is finished. What was that revelation? Revelation 21.4. Because his pain ended, yours will end. This was not just him saying it. It was a promise. Your pain will end. It is finished. And when it is finished, what's the last thing he says? Into thy hands, I commend my spirit. I want to live my life so that my life can commend my spirit into his hands. I want to end. I want the last thing to say. I want to say at the very end. Father, I'm coming. I want to say what Enos said. Let's turn to the, ver- the book of Enos, the last verse of Enos. I want, like Jesus, like Enos. And again, these are, Enos is an imperfect person. Jesus was perfect, but the rest of us are imperfect. It's not perfection that allows you to say this. It's effort. It's getting up when you fall. It's making another attempt. It's repenting and changing. It's moving forward. Then someday you can say, last verse of Enos, who wants to read it? Ryan, it's another way of saying, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I want to live my life so that I can say someday. And I soon go to the place of my rest, which is with my Redeemer. For I know that I that in him I shall rest. And I rejoice in the day when my mortal shall put on immortality and shall stand before him, then shall I see his face with pleasure. And he will say unto me, Come unto me, ye blessed. There is a place prepared for you in the mentions of my Father. Again, you don't have to be perfect. No one is going to be perfect. But if you follow Christ and you get up when you fall, and you repent and you change and you do it better next time. You can say, you will be able to say, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I have not been perfect, but I am ready to come. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Rachel. Sorry, I just want to ask again. Um, it says I'm ready to go. Are you listening to but, so what, what, sorry, what scripture was that exactly? Enos? Enos, one, it's the last verse of Enos. I don't remember what verse it is, but it's oh, okay. e, Enos chapter 1, verse 27. Okay, so that's number seven. It is finished. Or it is finished, number six. And then he says, into thy hands 
I commend, I think there's two M's. Two M's, commend. I also like the, the verse, I think it's in Matthew, the, or Luke, I don't remember, it's the parable of the talents. I just like that phrase. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Yeah. Um, and here's the funny thing. One guy took five and brought ten. One guy took two and brought four. Clearly, I didn't do what he did. I didn't do as much as he did. And yet the reward was, into thy, or well done, thou good and faithful servant. If I do my best with what I have, can I commend my spirit into his hands? Yes. I leave you with my testimony. I love him. I love him dearly. And the seven statements he uttered from the cross are for me guideposts in my life. I hold them up as mirrors. Knowing that he forgave at that moment when he was being nailed, how could I possibly withhold forgiveness to anyone who hurts me? I should say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In my agony, I should, be cared, I should care more about people who are in pain, and I should constantly be worried about other people's salvation instead of my own pain. My goal should be to drink my cup to the very end like I know he drank his. I know he finished his cup and died with bitterness on his lips, but wasn't bitter. And therefore I am compelled to drink my cup. I know he felt forsaken and yet moved forward. Therefore, in those moments where I feel forsaken, I am motivated to move forward. I know better when not to speak because man, I would have been tempted. I would have been tempted to bring a little fire down from heaven. Save yourself if you're the Christ. I'll save yourself. <laughs> Let's see what you say when you're suffering. But he just... I love that Jesus said it is finished. I have known pain. I know you have known pain. I take great comfort in pain in knowing that someday I will hear those three blessed words. It is finished. No pain will last because his pain didn't last. And may we live our lives so that we can commend ourselves to God, not having been perfect, but having fought the fight and followed him. I testify of him and how he lived an exemplary life and even in death taught us how to live. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.